Nice job. What? <laughs> I could go work for the shopping commercial now. Yeah. The shopping commercial. <laughs> yeah. Shop, oh, shopping now. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you could. I think that was just my audition right there. That last bit where I was like, just shop, the shoppers sing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. The... <laughs> end on this thing. Hi, we're Kara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that is rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push it. So we, I just got back from um, the beach. I was mm-hmm. at the beach. Well, so Friday I was at a birth and then Saturday through today, I was at, um, at the beach with some old friends and it was super fun. There was hot tubbing and Twister. Oh my God. <laughs> Did I tell you about Twister? No. <laughs> that sounds super fun. You know what? I was like, I've got this. Like I do all the, I do all the lifting and my legs are strong and I'm bendy and I totally like fell down first every time. <laughs> so that's what I get for having a big ego about Twister. Ego. Gym, gym time apparently does not equal Twister excellence. No, well now, now I have something to train for. There you go. Start so, coming to kids. Oh my God, often. I knew you were going to say that too. <laughs> I should. You know that my friend Rachel, she uh, says that kin stretch is like ranch dressing. She's like, she's like, you just want to put that shit on everything. She's like, anytime anybody says anything, you're like, kin stretch. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true though. It's very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. So yes. But so what's, what's your weekend been like? Uh, well, uh, yesterday we went for a family hike, which was really fun. Um, I lifted in the morning and I've been having this issue with my shoulder and like I did <laughs> go figure I did extra warmups like I spent a good 15 minutes really like like consciously targeting the areas I knew I was going to work mm-hmm. and I ended up like PRing on my floor press so awesome. yeah I haven't yeah. Well, at least for now like I haven't been able to press like that with my right shoulder for some time so that was exciting yay um, we went for a beautiful hike, sat out in the sun and read. And then today, uh, my husband and I did our Sundays are for aerobic capacity. So we do these workouts where one of us is on like the bike or the rower while the other one is doing a weight circuit. Mm-hmm. And 
That was a lot of fun. Oh, is this what you did on the uh-huh. here? Yes. Oh, that's what I missed. See, yep. I'm usually here for the Sunday workouts. So. Yeah, you missed that. So what we did is I have just finished reading Meg Boggs's book, Fitness for Everybody. Um, if you are interested in body positivity fitness, um, that is definitely a must read. Um, but she has a lifting program in there and because I'm already doing my own lifting program, I wanted to figure out a way to like try out some of her workouts. Mm -hmm. So we sort of repopulated them. Like we kind of changed the reps and, and schemes, but used the same exercises to put together the circuit, a little weightlifting circuit to do in it in as a companion to the bike today. And that was really fun. That's cool. Harder than I had expected. I was looking at, especially the second one with the, reverse flies and the rows and the bicep curls like uh-huh. yeah <laughs> that's probably yeah. hard yeah and and surprisingly after doing a bunch of rdls a bird dog feels like a lot of butt work really yeah to me in my body we will have to remember this yeah mm. yeah that little combo there was good huh. all right so cool. cool so yeah so you know just kind of fitnessing and family yeah that's cool <laughs> yeah that's fun yeah So um, today we are going to talk about a topic I'm very excited about um, because I just love it when people come into my DMs or into our comments Mm -hmm. and be like, "Uh, you're promoting obesity. (laughs) So let's talk about that. Yeah, let's have a little chat. So are we actually... Are we, by promoting body positivity and health at every size, are we actually promoting obesity? Uh, short answer is hell yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So part of the body positivity movement is not just like saying, oh, I love my body and I'm being positive about my body. No, it's not just that. It's also social justice. It is about elevating marginalized bodies. Yes. Like being fat phobic is one of like the last little bastions of being an asshole that is, that is accepted in our culture, Mm -hmm. right? Like people generally know it's not okay to be overtly racist or overtly homophobic or overtly ableist, but we still seem to think it's okay to, to be fat phobic Mm -hmm. and it's everywhere. It's, I mean, I mean, I mean, racism is everywhere too. It's like systemic and in so many ways, but like people seem to be okay with just putting it out there in a way that a lot of people are more like a wolf in sheep's clothing when it comes to like their racism and homophobia, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) The way I see it, the way I see it. But yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, it's totally acceptable. Um, to like I just the first thing I thought of for whatever reason was like people who take photos of people living in larger bodies who are trying to fit into spaces that weren't made for all people you know Mm -hmm. like like airplane seats and Uh and bathroom stalls and benches and like first of all that is an asshole thing to do right and and second of all like this (laughs) we talked about this a little bit in our previous episodes um but like this world, the, our Western society was not um, modeled with all bodies in mind. 
Like yeah. it was modeled for the ideal thin body. And those are the, the, those seats were made for those people. Yeah. I mean, when, when the, when airplane seats were being designed, it is not as if the people designing those seats were like, we don't know that a variety of bodies exist. They knew. They knew. And they made the seats small anyway. Mm-hmm. The same thing with like chairs in the waiting rooms or MRIs. Like there's like all and, and, and a ton of just medical research being done is mostly done on thin cadavers and thin, thin bodies instead of um, like actually representing the wide array of bodies that are actually naturally occurring. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so there's the short answer. Yeah, yeah, like maybe we are promoting quote unquote obesity. And also, we said this in our last episode, I think, is that obesity is a slur. Like when we say that, like we, we think, oh, we're being medical. Well, that medical term was really developed in order to marginalize people. Like just use the descriptor, just say fat. Mm-hmm. Fat people. It's not a bad word. You wouldn't say that it's a bad word if I call you short. Mm-hmm. Or you, we don't think of it as a bad word if we call someone thin. No, right? We don't. So, no. like, I mean, we can. So, using that term in general is just to me kind of offensive. So maybe you should back off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because. And because actually flip the script, mm-hmm. like we are not the ones promoting obesity. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Because if we look at the research, it seems to say that anytime someone tries to lose weight intentionally, they end up gaining weight. Two thirds of people gain weight. Mm-hmm. So if it's scientifically proven to that you would gain weight when you try to lose it and you're trying to promote weight loss. It really seems like you're trying to promote weight gain because that's what happens in the long run. Mm-hmm. So like and the I mean, diet industry absolutely yeah. is because that's how they make their money mm-hmm. by keeping people on that endless hamster wheel of gain, like weight cycling. Mm-hmm. Like they definitely are. And it's purposeful. Yeah. It's for money. Did you know, like during this pandemic, the diet industry has made $72 billion. Not at all surprised. Not at like, all surprised. That's insane. Yeah. It's, it's astronomically high. Yeah. And so it makes me think of like, there's no other place like in our society where this would be acceptable. Like you would not be like, Oh, let me take this drug for these allergies that I have that will not only not really cure my allergies. It won't help me with my allergies, except for if I'm in like this 2%, but then I have a two thirds chance of my allergies getting worse because I take this pill. If you just had more willpower, then you can stop having allergies. I wish that you would pull it together. Pull it together. You know what to do. You know know what to do. You're just not doing it. Right. (laughs) Do your part. (laughs) Okay. So this reminds me, this reminds me of, um, so the doctor that like discovered germs, I forget his name, but I know it starts with an S. It, I think it's like Schmitzel or something. Mm. Schmitzel. 
We're going to have to look it up and put it in our show notes. Sounds like the person who created Andy's pretzels or whatever. Right, it's not that. <laughs> okay, so so back before we knew about germs, right? So this doctor was like, I think that people are dying during surgeries because we have germs on our hands and then we're putting them into people's bodies and they're getting infections and that's what, mm-hmm. what's happening. And he was laughed out of the medical field. Like he, they took his license. He was shamed. Well, turns out he was right, but his ideas went against these cultural norms, mm-hmm. right? And that is what's happening now. Like in our medical field, people are like absolutely just ignoring the science to promote these thin ideals. Like if you go to a doctor's office and you actually ask them to produce evidence that this works, they like, they cannot give it to you because it doesn't exist. Mm -mm. Yet we're so attached to these ideas that we can't, it's like, we can't, it's it's like so hard to know even where to go. If you don't offer a fat person weight loss, like, like it's their duty to be thin Yeah, I would really like to learn more about like the the systems surrounding the thin ideal, because I think about like the way that doctors calculate um, people's risk factors. And I think about the fact that, you know, some insurance companies will require a certain number Mm -hmm. for it to be diagnosed for the person to be able to get the help that they need. Um, And so I would really be interested in learning more about that. But if you're listening to this and you have some resources, like send them our way because I want to read about it. Because sometimes I think that, you know, some some medical uh, professionals might be painted into a corner because they have to play by the rules to get people to get things to work the way that it's, it mm-hmm. needs to work in this very broken system. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that a lot of insurance companies are still using BMI. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some doctors that are starting to use something called a Q scale. Um, is that what it is? Q, Q, yeah. Q risk calculator or Q something risk like that. Calculator. So you can actually do this on your own, but we did this. Uh, but it takes into consideration more than just your height and your weight, right? It takes into consideration different risk factors um, like smoking or um, like genetics, things like that. Mental health was Mental health. Yeah. And so it it's sort of the first scale that I have seen that is takes into consideration some of the social determinants of health yeah. in addition to just like what's your weight? Like, are you fat or not? Um, which can give you a much better, like, look at what your actual risk factors are. And so, um, when we did it, we played around, we lied about our weight. We did our actual weight. And then I actually increased my weight by a hundred pounds and Jill decreased her weight by like 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. And so when I increased my weight, I went from like being point like 6% likely to have a heart attack in the next, how many years did it say? 10. In the next 10 years. And then when I upped my weight by like a hundred pounds, it went up by like 0.2. And so, mm-hmm. yes, it did go up, but seriously, my, you don't know what those, what would even account for those 0.2 
Right. Right. Well, like, and in my case, like I went down 50 pounds. And so like my risk of a heart attack was like 0. 0.08 at my regular weight. Mm -hmm. And when I lowered it 50 pounds, it was 0. 0.07. So like right. weight is not the determining factor of whether or not I'm going to have a heart attack. Right. <laughs> you know, right. It changes very, very little. And so when you look at it that way, it's like even even when you do see those changes, um, you don't even know what the, those changes are accounting for. Like it could be that like when I went up by a hundred pounds, like I think about what my life would be like living a hundred pounds heavier, I would be, be discriminated against yes. so much more than I am now. I would struggle to find clothes that fit me. I wouldn't feel comfortable in public because chairs wouldn't fit me. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, probably not do as many social gatherings because of people's judgmental stares or, you know, things like that. So, I mean, my stress level would probably go way up. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so when, when, <laughs> so I'm lost. <laughs> we, we, we went off the grid for a second. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, you know what? I'm going to say this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of, so I was, so speaking of like imagining what it would be like walking through the world in a different body, I was, <laughs> I was watching my husband walk around without a shirt on the other day. And like, my husband has what we would call like the default body. Like if you think about like in our society, there's like a male and female, mm -hmm. you know, very binary, um, ideal bodies on both sides. Like we kind of have an idea. So think about for a second, what that would look like in your mind. So for a woman, it'd probably be, you know, tall ish, thin, mm -hmm. A lot of us might even um, imagine that they were uh, white, mm -hmm. maybe with blonde hair. You know, you mm -hmm. think about like there are these sort of ideals that just kind of come to mind. Um, and so my husband is like tall-ish, has a six pack always, like no matter whether he gains or loses weight, mm -hmm. he just does. He's muscular. And people comment on his body constantly, mm -hmm. which I can imagine makes him feel a little self-conscious. Actually, I know that that makes him feel self-conscious sometimes. Um, but people will, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? How did you get that? And like, and to the, tell you the truth, I mean, he, he works hard. He lifts, he lifts a lot of weight and he, you know, but he, um, it doesn't really change how the overall of how his body looks. Like, yeah. I don't think, I think if he were to mountain bike and quit lifting weights, his body might not look drastically different. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, and so there's a lot of just like, he got handed a big genetic present in, in ways that other people have not. Right. And like, I, I wonder sometimes, cause we think about that, like, that's the goal like if we could just get to that weight that, or to be this ideal, that's really not possible for a lot of us anyway, that like everything will like suddenly be better in our lives. As it turns out, yeah. <laughs> that's not the case. No. I mean, even my husband who lives in this body all the time and he does recognize his privilege, but he also says like, 
gosh, you know, like I feel like I get in my own way just, you know, with my own insecurities about this or that. And, and really he feels, he said he feels inadequate a lot of the time. Yeah. And so like him having the perfect body didn't solve his problems, you know, and, and I have been in a more desirable body at different times in my life. And it didn't, it wasn't like a magic pill for me. No, like not for me either. Like maybe, and maybe short lived, like there were times where like, so after my divorce, I stress lost a lot of weight Mm -hmm. and I did enjoy it for a little bit. Yeah. But then it was like, there was a panic because once if you, if you've ever lost a lot of weight really quickly for unhealthy reasons, (laughs) it is, there comes a point where your body's like, no, we're not doing this anymore, sister. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then I was like struggling to try to keep myself in this really unattainable body. And that I did not. And, and it didn't solve my problems. I was still in the middle of a terrible divorce. I was still, I was still stressed out, worried about my kids, worried about, you know, myself trying to, you know, make a living. Like all of those things were still there. I still had to fly to Arizona. And right. You. <laughs> right. That was the best road trip. That was so. really fun. Really, really fun. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it doesn't solve any problems. Like I, I have experienced, I was thinking about what you said with like, it did feel good for a little while. Cause I think that that's something that we talk about a lot is how being a, a smaller body didn't necessarily like make life better, but there is some, yeah, there is some enjoyment to it because everybody praises you. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like that? Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody praises you, but then you get hit with not only are all your other struggles still there, mm-hmm. but now you're hit with everybody has seen this body and now I have to keep it. And you can't, mm-hmm. if you're not genetically predisposed to having that body, you cannot do it. Right. So it's, that's a lot of stress. Yeah. It adds the stress of the, like other people's expectations. And that leads me to this whole idea of like health trolling Mm. because right. I think like the, you know, you're promoting obesity. I think that phrases little sister is like, I just care about your health. Yeah. So let's talk about that for Mm -hmm. a second. (laughs) So you cannot tell how healthy someone is by looking at them. Nope. So when you look at a thin person, you can't say that person's healthy. Like that person could have cancer. You don't know. That right. person could smoke. Like we've talked about this on the show before, but like when I was working at a gym, a big gym, there were lots of trainers there. And I was like, God, how do all these people like maintain their weight like this? I mean, it was like cigarettes and cocaine. Like that's not healthy, but everybody, people would train with those people because they had this ideal body that they wanted. And it's like, well, uh, you ain't going to get it doing that, those exercises. I can tell you that. Get off that leg press machine because you're going to have to go buy some Coke. Right. (laughs) Like, so, you know, so to say like, oh, I just, I just want everyone to be healthy is really like, it's just an asshole thing to say, because you don't know what healthy is by looking at someone Mm -hmm. and nobody owes you health. Like we don't have control of our health either. So to like, to say like that, you know, you, this person has this, this duty 
to perform health for you, that's really none of your business. Yeah. 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 And there are many, many factors that go. So I don't know if we're to this point yet, but I, I think we might be about defining health. Yeah. Uh, so there are many things that factor into the health of somebody. Um, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes. And we've talked about this before, but the social determinants of health, like, you know, what's, what's, what is their social, um, what's their social impact? What is their environment? What is, you know, are they living in a society where they do not have their bodies, voices elevated? Um, the allostatic load of being a marginalized um, person, mm-hmm. like the, the generational trauma, the, the, all the things, like there are so many things that go into defining somebody's health and like how much of it has to do with your weight? Like none, like none. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you even think about fitness, like, like it's so funny because when you're learning fitness, in like school, there's nothing about weight in there. Yet there's this underlying expectation that the goal is always to lose weight. Mm -hmm. But like the definitions of fitness is like strength, stamina, mobility. Like those are the things that you learn to manipulate in order to help someone be fitter. Mm-hmm. there's no like, Oh, this person will be fitter if they were to lose weight. And we tend to think that like, that would be that that will just help. Like, because I've heard people say like, Oh, you know, if you're overweight, it puts, you know, every pound of extra weight puts this much extra weight on your knees or, you know, that being overweight causes all of these different problems. And really if what happens actually, is that overweight, quote unquote, overweight people are often not welcomed into fitness spaces and health spaces for that matter. So they are less likely to exercise, right? And if they were welcomed into those spaces, I bet what we would see is sort of a flattening of that curve. Like we would see that regardless of the weight, people would get healthier if they exercised. And actually that's what the science tells us. There's, there are actual scientific research studies that say, regardless of your weight, you will get healthier. Your health outcomes improve if you start exercising. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so to say that people who are quote unquote overweight aren't healthy it could probably help them to be healthier if they felt more welcomed into fitness spaces. <laughs> yeah. Boom. So <laughs> stitch that on a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you mentioned the knee thing and we were talking about um, something before we started recording. Um, will you share that story about that? Oh yes. I have a story about my mom. My mom is not. Go. My mom doesn't listen to this podcast. No, it's fine. She won't even know. That's good, good in this particular instance. So, so okay. So I'll give a little background that um, as we've been kind of, as I have been going on this journey in like body liberation and body positivity, um, 
I've been talking about it a lot with my mom. My mom is type one diabetic and she's got a lot of hangups around food. Like diabetics in general are about 35% more likely to have disordered eating Mm -hmm. because they are taught to vilify carbs. They are taught to like to have very strict rules around um, food. And what we know psychologically is that as soon as we start having rules in general about anything, that it, it separates us from our ability to connect with our bodies intrinsically. Um, so if you think about like how, I mean, if you have a kid, like how a toddler eats, they, they eat intuitively. They just say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when they're full, they stop. Um, and it's always different. Like there are some days where they have like, you know, the other day Finn had three meat sticks in a row. <laughs> yep. And then the next time he ate, he like had a, a corner of a cracker. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> yesterday, Oliver, um, he always likes to eat. Like when we have burger night. So yesterday was burger night. He always eats the bun. And then it's like, we have to like, try to like bribe him to eat the meat. Yesterday he ate the burger. No bun. He was like, no, not feeling it. And I was like, okay, you do. So we're trying not to push food on him as much, yeah. but anyway, yeah. So that, that intuition is, is lacking here in Mm -hmm. this scenario. So I've been having a lot of these conversations with my mom because over the years as she has not only tried to sort of sidestep a lot of the judgment coming her way for being a diabetic, because being a diabetic sort of implies that she hasn't done the right thing with her health. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's always really like, Oh, but I'm a type one. So it wasn't my fault you know, type two, you get that because you're an asshole around food, right? Like that's sort of like what I grew up thinking. Yes, me too. And that's what I was taught. Um, what we've learned yeah. since then is that that's not the case. Not the case. Um, so, so she's got some hangups that she's working through. So she's had this friend like since college and she was talking to him and he was saying that his knees were really bothering him. And they have been bothering him for like the past two years. And so she was really angry. Like, why are you not going to the doctor? And he's like, well, I went to the doctor twice before. And both times they just told me that I need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And so my mom got really upset. Well, I like, well, why don't you just lose weight then? Like, and she was telling me she was getting all flustered about how like, well, he eats like for dinner every night he eats cold cuts or salami, cheese, a piece of fruit and some, you know, snap peas or carrots. And I just laughed out loud because this is exactly the meal that my mom feeds my son every day. Mm -hmm. So she does preschool for my son. And so he goes up there every single day. He's there for lunch every single day at my mom's house. And that is like verbatim his lunch. Yep. And I'm like, okay, Are you telling me that you're going to make Oliver fat? <laughs> like, what, what is it here? So what's going on? But, um, and so it was sort of an aha moment. Cause I was like, mom, it's like, you're a thin person. And you've always been a thin person. And like, maybe your weight has fluctuated up or down, maybe 10 pounds, but never, never have you walked into a doctor's office and had them look at you and say, you need to lose weight. Yeah. And I said, imagine what that would have been like. Cause my mom just recently had knee surgery 
I said, imagine that you came in with your same knee problems and they just like took a look at you and said, oh, lose 20 pounds and then come back to us. And you knew that trying to lose 20 pounds would be almost impossible and wouldn't really improve your knee. Yeah. Like if, if I think if as a rule, doctors would just treat their fat patients like their thin patients, we'd probably have a lot better outcomes, health outcomes for quote unquote obese people across the board because they wouldn't be sent away to do something that didn't work before they were allowed to have the health care that they deserve. Well, here's the other beef that I have with that. The other beef that I have with that is that they say, you know, go lose 20 pounds and come back. They don't tell you how to do it. Right. They just say, go do it. And so like, you know, if you are, if the person is like attempting to do it, most likely they're doing it in a way that is not healthy or sustainable. Mm -hmm. So let's say that they go back and they lose that 20 pounds. I would be, I would venture to guess that their, the health of their knees has not changed or has become worse because of the stress of dieting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow and I'm like, I'm going to try something. I've never done this before. I am not getting on the scale. Yes. Yes. So yes. Tell us how it goes. Okay. So yeah, so here's my plan. So it would probably be smart for me to check with my insurance company first uh, to see for sure. (laughs) They'll still cover the appointment because some insurances absolutely require it, but not all. So I am going to say, I do not want to get on the scale. And hopefully that is the end of it. But if they push and say, well, we really need it for a certain reason, then I th- my plan is to say, um, am I going under anesthesia? Is there any medical reason in this appointment that I need to be weighed? And because really, if you're not going under, under anesthesia or they're not having to figure out how to dose any kind of medication for you, there's zero medical reason that they should need to have my weight recorded. Yep. And really, when you do have the weight written down and if you have a doctor that's going to look at your chart before they come see you and say they see, oh, she's gained weight, that could be a difference in how you are treated in the actual exam. Yep. And so I want to be treated for my problems with my periods. <laughs> I don't want to be treated for, I don't want them to be like, oh, you're having terrible periods because you're 42 now. And apparently your body just decided to like, like, <laughs> just, just to say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but That's the official diagnosis. Yeah, I think that is. <laughs> But I don't, I, I truly do not believe that me being 20 pounds lighter would make any difference with what my uterus is doing right now. Probably not. So, so that's my plan. I'm not getting on the scale. Yes. And then, and next week's episode, we will hear how it went. Yes. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Because because I, I, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to practice it ahead of time. <laughs> if they like push me, I'm just going to be like, what evidence do you have that <laughs> I <laughs> It'll end with the Angela Bassett scene? <laughs> just be like, I'm blowing up this clinic. <laughs> Scale first. Scale first. <laughs> That's right. 
still have your scale that you gave to me. Oh yeah. That I don't even know why you gave it to me. I don't remember. You you wanted it for some reason, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. Like many, many years ago. But seriously, I really do feel like we should sledgehammer that thing and film it. Let's do it. We should have Matt um, video it for us and then he can edit it into some cool slow-mos and stuff. Yeah, be like a whole office space printer scene. Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We don't even need to go to the Wrecking Ballers place. We got something to do here. Yeah, like, we have something important to do. Let's get some safety glasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. That'll be really fun. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so that's coming your way soon. Yes. <laughs> The destruction of the scale and Kara not getting on it. Yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> like it. That's all that we have for you today. If you like the Push Podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Give us a review. Become a Push patron. Go to www.patreon.com slash pushfitness. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Become a Push patron. You'll get early access to episodes, individualized Q&As with us. You'll get freebies, all sorts of good stuff. So go to our uh, patron Patreon page and sign up to become a Push patron for all kinds of goodies. And yeah. Yeah. We hope that uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Give us a review. The more reviews and subscriptions we get, the more visibility we get, and the easier we can find more listeners just like you. Bye.